From NPR Music, this is All Songs Considered. I'm Julie Haidt, NPR Music contributor and editorial director of WNXP. When Julian Baker released her third solo album, Little Oblivions, at the end of February, we marked the occasion with a live listening party on NPR Music's YouTube channel. We played it start to finish, all 12 tracks, and then we talked about it, and we're sharing the conversation here. When I say we, I mean Baker herself, her indie rock peer Mackenzie Scott, who you also know as Torres, and me, the host. We dug into sides of Baker's artistry that don't always get much attention, the care and craft she puts into it, the way she searches for just the right imagery and poetic yet conversational language to make her songs penetrating. And particularly on her first project with a full band sound, the experimenting she did in the studio to give her music more muscle. Mackenzie Scott has had her own experiences with stylistic evolution, and she zeroed in on the change in Baker's approach. Julie Height from WNXP in Nashville, and Julian Baker has been our Artist of the Month on the air all month long. We are so lucky to have her here with us today, and Mackenzie, and yeah, let's get into it. First, you know, Mackenzie is as an artist peer of Julian, who has yourself evolved from album to album. Would you like to sort of weigh in on how Little Oblivion's is making you hear Julian's music differently or, or something else is kind of at the top of your mind after listening? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I noticed was that Julian sonically, you just really expanded, you expanded your world. Um, And I mean, personally, I, I love drums. I love that you've got drums and I'm curious to hear, you know, a little further in the conversation about like the live drums versus the drum machines. If we even get time to talk about the technical stuff, but I love like every little bleep and blop that I heard, um, you know, that I didn't hear on your previous stuff. And I'm just curious to hear about what you have to say about your sonic transformation and, and what, what led you to, you know, start experimenting in a way that you hadn't before. Geez. Um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, that's incredibly flattering to hear from you. And um, second of all, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know why it took me so long to return to incorporating percussive elements back into my music because I had, um, you know, historically I had played in the Starkillers and Forrester and that's the kind of uh, arrangements I were used to. And then when I started touring... Um, by myself, I just grew to like the simplicity of it and the minimalism of it. But I think, unfortunately, you know, just because of the way things happened with my old band and beginning to tour uh, by myself, I constructed these kind of imagined parameters about the style of music I excelled in and the the paths that were available to me. And um, yeah, I had some time to step away from music in 2019 and 
I just wanted to make a record that was actually fulfilling to me that had a little bit less consideration of this body of work in context with my other work. And this feels like a really, like the production on this record is really pure. It just seems like this beautiful conversation that was being had between myself and Calvin, uh, my good friend who produced the record. We sort of just like explored how to integrate drums in a way that isn't sonically similar throughout the whole record. I don't know, I think that's a hard thing to do, um, especially because I grew up like listening to a particular style of music and I was like, I basically only know one drum beat. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how, how um, we're going to make this interesting, but yeah. I was just reading about how you said that, you know, you thought it was interesting to play your own drums because that's not your forte. It's not your instrument. And, you know, that, and I agree with you here. I, I love it when people do this, when they play an instrument that isn't their main instrument instrument or that they've never even played before. And, and they're approaching it from, you know, not, not a scholarly perspective, but they're approaching it purely from the gut. And I, it feels like that on this album. Completely. I mean, yeah, I'm not, of all the instruments that I would call myself proficient in, drums is definitely, like, the lowest on the tier. Um, but that was exactly it, is I felt like the limitations would in inform the structure of the songs uh, in an interesting way, because I don't have preconceived ideas of how the drums are supposed to be played or how they're sonically supposed to fit Um you know, and to a certain degree, it's like that with my guitar playing too. I know, you know, I have a modicum of knowledge uh, about music theory, but I am not familiar with so many of the like scales and chord shapes um, that you know my roommates or my colleagues uh, are super well versed in, and I like that. You know, it's it's the kind of uh, Django Reinhardt like making do with what tools are available to you and what knowledge you have instead of. Um, trying to like chase a formal perfection um so yeah i don't know that's a great reference jingo reinhardt i love that you reached out and grabbed that one <laughs> you know i think the components that you're talking about are part of what makes the i mean julian baker you have made my favorite julian baker album so far in <laughs> in little you. oblivions and and i mean it it really is you know you have always given us this directness in your vocal performances, you know, and, and I feel like there's this dynamic tension now because, you know, you sing in a way that makes us feel the emotional weight of, of what you're conveying, you know, but often your phrasing is you really kind of stretch out a phrase, you stretch out a line, you know, like you can feel the effort and the feeling in it. And then in all of these arrangements and all the parts that you've played, there are all of these, you know, all of the groove patterns, the percussion, all the guitar layers. It's like this tangle of motion and muscle, you know, happening beneath your vocals. And so it kind of, you know, I mean, it really is a dynamic tension and it, and it just adds flesh, even more flesh to the bones of the songs, I feel like, because we get what has broken through the surface and then we get a sense of all the stuff happening beneath the surface, too, you know, and I think that's really cool. And I, I got the chance to talk with Calvin, your engineer, and he told me that he for your sessions 
he miked everything like every day that you were going to record. He just miked everything so that you could jump around and play this and play that. I mean, can you help us kind of picture what that was like? Oh, gosh, uh, it was amazing. I mean, I and I love uh, making records with Calvin because we've known each other so long. And I think the fact that we grew up um, in the same musical like uh sub micro environment um gives us this kind of uh this shorthand for understanding where the other person is going uh musically uh with the like you know songwriting chemistry or production chemistry but yeah it was a lot different than i feel like first of all there were so many more moving parts uh that i had available to me i was like i'm actually gonna use drums or i like we should use some synthesizers on this song but past that it's like you know we had never had a reason to have drum day and guitar or like drums were ever recorded in a day usually but like uh, <laughs> like a drum session a whole drum session dedicated to getting those sounds and then putting down like perfecting a bass tone it was all very much that I would have like a couple of demos or voice memos or little horrible logic waves that I had sent to Calvin and we would come in and work on one song at a time and put all the pieces together. And then once we had sort of a scaffolding, come back and listen to it. And I don't know, it, it's, <laughs> it was just trial and error sort of it's, you know, we would mute things, put things back in, put a little synth layer on there decided that sounded stupid try something else like and it was just a very easy fluid way to work because I had virtually no commitment to the production or even the um even the structure of the songs like there's many songs that you know I like chopped parts up and moved them around so that it would have a more dynamic structure and I think you know, this was a record where I felt more than any other record before that I had the license to do that. And I was just trying to do what ultimately served the song. Yeah. But yeah, it was funny <laughs> just having like all the mics up at all times and being like, I don't know, I think that I hear a piano part here. And he's like, okay, I'll just turn on the piano mics. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, it was fun. To really allow myself to not have the the song structure and the, the components dictated by what was capable to do live made space for all of these little like interesting things like the beeps in the end of zip tie. Somebody's like beeps are the new cowbell. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I would sing so uh, songs to Calvin and I would just be like, I don't know how else to say it, man, but I just want bleep bloops here. <laughs> and I, so I had to, like, it's been fun. And then throughout quarantine, I've been trying to, like, teach myself how to use all these pieces of equipment to make bleep bloops in an intentional way. Because, you know, it's like when you when you exist so far outside of, a, of an art form or, or an area of expertise, like modular synthesis or sequencing or whatever, um, it seems kind of impenetrable to you. And so the only way I knew how to describe it was bleep bloops. <laughs> and now... <laughs> Now I can, you know, sort of... Now you speak that language? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. I'm not... I'm no Eurorack whiz, but... When you were making... Well, when you were writing it and or recording it, were you, you know, obviously there's 
there's just like normal life where you're considering a tour maybe after the album. And then there's quarantine COVID-19 life where you're like, sure. when will I get to tour again? When you were recording and when you were writing, were you considering playing these songs live? I was, but I think I was opening myself up to the idea that we would have to find creative ways to accommodate the way the songs had been produced instead of limiting the songs in the studio mm -hmm. so that they were performable by either just me or <laughs> my dog is freaking out. Um, <laughs> and it's been interesting, you know, I, I think especially after touring so long where I was in, ch in charge in I was in control of so many uh, elements of what was happening. Like when I was building all these loop levels that I really hoped were all, I was pressing the right like buttons at the same time. Um, now relegating control to other players is like stressful, but also fulfilling for me because <laughs> I don't I don't have to feel like the the sole performer who's like steering the whole ship. I can just be a a member in a body creating music, you know? I was thinking about this earlier this week. I, I read a review and one of the words that it used in the very first sentence was, was raw. And I thought, no, I don't think, I don't think that that is, I don't think that that is accurate because, oh my you God. know, when I, when I listen to the songs, I hear that you have processed ideas and refine them and maybe even obsessed over them you know to to get the imagery that Just is maybe. gonna have an impact and hit us in the gut you know that's gonna the imagery that's gonna pack a punch and just the way to to have this language that is both conversational and poetic and you know how you I saw people single out different lines that you had the way you'd written them and the way you place them in the song, they just hang in the air and land in just a powerful and devastating kind of way too. So, and I also, I mean, in, in listening to this album, you made me think more about how you, how you work with melody this time around than I ever have, have thought about before. So yeah. Can you let us in on how you molded your ideas into the way that you wanted them to, to come across and communicate. Dang. I love the, the interrogation of whether it's appropriate to use the word raw. I'm here for it. I think yeah. No, I mean like, that's what I'm saying is like, it is, it is such an interesting thing. And I feel like people have said that about my music a lot. And I don't know it for a long time. And especially when I was touring my first record, Sprained Ankle, uh, there was this feeling, especially with the other songwriters I was talking to that were younger and had maybe come out of the punk scene, of the supremacy of impulse. I don't know. And, like, Mackenzie, tell me if you feel, like, this weird dichotomy between something being emotionally authentic because it is unedited and therefore being, like, raw and valuable for that reason, or being contrived solely because it is so edited you know what I mean like <laughs> but you're right Julie when I sit down to write songs it's just a bunch of nonsense compiled from my notes that are all I guess you could say like 
phrases or words or like things I hear in conversation that uh, come to me with a certain sort of immediacy. But then it requires a lot of thinking about how to arrange them. Like I rhyme my words and not everybody does that. You know what I mean? But I actually think that's such a... Nothing wrong with with rhyming and songwriting. (laughs) I know, but it's like I think people go through phases of like having music criticism or like phases of music inform what they think of as tasteful and non-tasteful. And we were talking about this with the class separatism and pop, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's almost as if, you know, rhyming and uh, imposing certain guidelines, like instead of rules on my writing helps me to be more creative within a form. I was listening to John Darniel from the Mountain Goats talk about writing in a very hyper-specific, like, to-the-syllable form, and how it's it's not that that necessarily makes your writing sterile. It's that it challenges you to tinker with the language in order to organize it in a certain way. I, I don't know. How do you, do you feel that way? I think they're opposites. Like, dude, I absolutely, I, and I'm sorry if this is, like, I'm, if I'm coming on too strong, but I absolutely <laughs> resent the word raw when it comes yeah. to describing, you know, uh, somebody's music, specifically a, a woman's music or, you know, um, somebody who's not a cis hetero man's music. Like, because to me, the word raw completely imp- implies that there's no craft involved, that like, the fact that someone could call something raw and you're like, okay, well, I only spent like eight months to two years crafting these 10 songs (laughs) and like writing, rewriting, 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 like spending, you know, hours every day, just trying to get to the heart of what I was even trying to say. And then when I finally figured out what I was trying to say, then I figured out how to rhyme it all and turn it into poetry. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Call it raw because it was totally spontaneous, right? It's just a journal entry, right? Like that's what I yes yeah. that that is what I was exactly. getting at yes thank you <laughs> it, it irritates the shit out of me and I'm I'm sorry because I feel like some people will will find that language salty but I just I'm tired of it well yeah and that's why you know I was I, part of it was like do you think it's appropriate to use the word raw because there seems to be I could have asked that question in so much more a concise way but because there seems to be and it's almost like an ultimatum right between <laughs> this idea that you are uh, some divinely inspired lightning in a bottle artist who just magically makes this like raw emotional music or that you are somebody who prizes and like we're not prizes but maybe just like pays careful attention to and is passionate about form and is very intentional and deliberate and somehow that that lessens um the emotional immediacy of it you know what I mean and I wonder if that's not just because I grew up like when I think about the chaos of I don't know like a hardcore show when everything is just like very chaotic and um the chaos when things are chaotic when uh when <laughs> when like everything is very dissonant you know what i mean and uh it seems unplanned that to a younger self of mine would be something i would consider real and genuine because of its unplannedness because of its uncontrivedness but i don't know i i, I agree with you completely about it being kind of 
facile to assume that it like it lessens the emotional honesty of a work to have it be so deliberately formed you know and we're not just talking about work in the abstract we are talking about the songs that you have shaped for little oblivions and you know i mean some of the lines that have stuck out to me and just like gotten under my skin and and won't get out like it's the mercy i can't take i mean it's the writing of it, it's the placement of it, it's the way, you know, in the arrangement and the way the line like that hangs out there. Or I think the line, maybe it's all black baby all the time, you know? I mean, that's that's the combination of conversational and poetic writing that I'm that I'm talking about, you know? I mean, yeah, that's not by accident. It can't possibly no. be. Well, and I think often some there will be like one or two lines that I don't edit that are like gleaned from conversation or just from random thought but then it does take like wow actually that was such an insightful way to put that because because now I'm thinking about you know like people have applied that uh the term like like raw but in a crude way to my music before because it is it doesn't have a lot going on in the production sphere Oh, it does now. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But uh, I'm a person who spends a lot of time in my songwriting and in my daily life having an internal freak out about specifically which terminology I'm using for any conversation or if my words are accurately representing what I mean. And so often I feel like that it's like shooting myself in the foot because if you get down to it, like you can reduce a person's interpretation of a random adjective to oftentimes just like their idiolect and their context. So it's okay. We don't have to have a whole discussion about raw, but um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the most, <laughs> the most non-confrontational person. I'm like, Oh no, please don't. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> This is great. But so like, you're talking about Mackenzie getting to the heart of what you're even writing about. That is so much of these songs. So many of these songs were like five and six minutes long of me having verse after verse, just saying a whole bunch of contradictory, disjointed things or expressing feelings, being like, I like this piece of imagery, this piece of imagery like gets at the heart of what I'm feeling and then having to like chop it all away and wonder if that's actually true, what I'm saying. I was talking to one of my friends about how it is bizarre how we quantify authenticity and how <laughs> authenticity is a is something that you do to goods to make them, like, more consumable. Like, authentic is a word <laughs> that you would use. Does that make sense, right? And then, I, you know, people talk about being authentic and being genuine so much, and I'm like, man, how genuine could I even truly be if I'm writing a record about how maybe I have been deceiving myself for like <laughs> several years? I'm just like, damn, I'm trying. I'm really trying. <laughs> I made a record on Turn Out the Lights that was just a lot of dirgy emotional ballads. And I was like, dang, I really would like something animating my music. As intentional as I am about it, there's not that amount of deliberation in everything, you know, like, Somebody was shouting out the synth part on Bloodshot. Yeah, 
that synth part is dope because there needed to be a dope synth part there. Like, it's something that you can very much feel, and I think I had gotten away from for the same reason of, you know, thinking maybe that minimal music was more tasteful in some way than the the music I had been accustomed to playing. It's because, you know, I felt that I had to have a deliberate reason for all of the sonic choices I made on this record, but I, you don't, you know. There's so much of music, you know, you're talking about, like, Django Reinhardt or, you know, not being familiar with the instrument you're playing on a record, meaning it has to come from a very guttural place where it is just gratifying to your ears to hear this arrangement of sounds, and that's why it's on there. Is it gratifying to get so much curiosity about your snare sounds and your (laughs) guitar tones? And is it, I mean, several people ask, is it synth bass? Like, what role did program drums or MIDI drums play? Is Is it cool to you to get asked about that kind of stuff? Oh my gosh, it's my favorite thing. Because I take my lyricism very seriously, but I am also just a fan of sounds. And I like talking about creating sounds, and like how the sounds were created, why they were placed in a certain order. Yeah, so it's it's actually extremely fun to me to just be able to talk about the, the sonic quality of my tunes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad that we got to geek out about that a lot, but it has been such a pleasure to get to talk with both of you, Julian and Mackenzie, and... Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you for your work, Julian, and your thoughts and your geekery. My pleasure. I can see myself.